This might be edgy, but I'm just going to say it. Who cares? Um, I'm totally okay living in a world like people are like, oh, well, trans people, your gender's a phase. And I'm okay being like, yeah, but says people, your gender's a phase too. You were listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Hey, Slutty Scholars. I am part of an awesome podcast network called Pleasure Podcasts that features some of the top sex and relationship podcasts in the world. Hopefully, you've already listened to my episode with Cocktails, Dirty Discussions. I actually just went to their live show last week, which was super fun. Check out their trailer in case you need more Pleasure Podcasts. What's up, you guys? We are Cocktails or Discussions. I'm Kiki Said So. And I am Medina Monroe. And if you love talking about dating in today's world, all the things in between, check out our show. Yeah, take a listen to one of our favorite episodes. Mm. Everybody <laughs> fluid for real. Everybody just going with the flow, goddamn. Yes, Some women can't call themselves fluid if you try not to eat pussy. No you way. talking about, well, I don't eat pussy. But you're scared of a little fluid. Don't be a little scared of fluid now what if you fluid. That fluid tastes good. If you have been dating someone for six years, and you find out that your boyfriend of six years is your brother. Like, full, both same parents. It's going to be weird if they do stop. They had family reunions and you looking at like, damn, I know my sister got good pussy. (laughs) I'm going to stay. Check out new episodes of Cocktails Dirty Discussions every Thursday on your favorite podcast app or YouTube. Sluts and Scholars podcast features shame-free educational entertainment. While we love to give advice and resources, please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. I'm Nicoletta Heidegger, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And this week, I am excited to welcome Jacob Tobia. They are an actor, writer, producer, and author of the national best-selling memoir, Sissy, A Coming of Gender Story. From running across the Brooklyn Bridge in high heels to giving Trevor Noah an on-air makeover on The Daily Show, Jacob helps others embrace the full complexity of their gender, even and especially when it's messy as hell. Jacob recently made their acting debut in the non-binary character Double Trouble on Netflix's She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. Originally from Raleigh, North Carolina, Jacob currently lives in Los Angeles and is also my rock-hounding friend, buddy. Welcome. Hell yeah, rocks. (laughs) Geology rocks! Yeah, geology is so cool, even though I don't really know much about it, but I like to look at how pretty the things are that geology makes. Oh yeah, that's that's pretty much same. It's like if yeah. it looks shiny and it looks interesting and unique, then I want to collect it. I think yeah. I feel the same way about people. Yeah, no, that is 100% true. <laughs> I use okay. the metaphor of a crystal to describe myself all the time because I'm just like, you same know, way. I'm I'm like I am a very long pointy piece of quartz and Ooh. anytime someone's trying to like um you know, make me be smaller or like make me be the more palatable version of myself. I'm like, why would you take a gorgeous point and polish it into a sphere? Oh, you lose all that. You lose, you lose most of the thing. Like, okay. This is such a metaphor for our interview today. That's what I'm saying. That's why I was like, let's start there. (laughs) Okay. So let's talk about how your, um, your crystal was formed. So, um, I'd love to talk a little bit about like how we both learned about gender growing up uh, or not learned rather, but like, what was your first concept of gender growing up that you can recall? I think it was like, for me, it was just like the moment I learned about gender, like gender and frustration were synonyms. Mm. I was, I just like, I was such an unruly child. I just was very like, I mean, I was well-behaved and like, in in some senses in terms of like you know i did well at school and like you know i like was always like teacher's pet and whatever but like yeah when it came and it was nice to other kids and things like that and i shared well etc um but like when it came to gender i just was so like i was so disgruntled and bummed about it like because all that gender felt like when i was a child was just the limiting of possibility like Mm. gender was nothing there was nothing positive in it for me and I, and I, I argue still that to this day, like there's very little positive in it, right? Like the only part of it that's positive or the main part of it that's positive perhaps is like, is this way of understanding, like we, we're all co-traumatized by gender and by the gender binary, right? Like we're told, like when we're kids, we're told who we can and can't be, right? And then we're sent on these paths, like these disparate paths to like either into manhood or womanhood or boyhood or girlhood or whatever. And then like have these terrible experiences 
um, on both sides of like becoming men or like, you know, becoming women and like dealing with misogyny and patriarchy on both sides of it, right? Like um, experiencing the cruelties that come with living in a misogynistic world as a feeling human, right? Experiencing the violence that comes with patriarchy, no matter which side of the divide you're on, um, that manifests differently on opposite sides of the divide, but like you, there's still violence on both. Um, and then we end up like co-traumatized with all the other people who were thrown on the terrible roller coaster that we were. Mm -hmm. And then we, we take that to be like meaning, right? Like, like, no, 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 my manhood's important to me because I have so much trauma around what it was like to be forced to be this way that like, I need to hold on to that identity and sharing with the people, other people who were also forced to be that way, like matters for us as a collective. Cause we need to heal and heal each other. Right. Like, mm -hmm. and I think, Anyway, yeah, I just, I feel like for me, gender was just like, it was just this way of being cleaved in half. It was just like, hey, you're a whole person. Nah. Um, you <laughs> like doing cool stuff. No. Um, you want to have fun. Uh-uh. Like, you can have half fun, you can be half cool, and you can be half a person. Um, that's wow. our offer, final offer. And I was just like, this sucks. Like, I just looked around, like, this blows, y'all. Like, wh what, what, what? You know, it was, I was like, surely this is not the deal. Like, surely this is not. And, and like, I, you know, I, I have so many memories as a child of like, of all these moments that I tried to sort of push back against that. Mm -hmm. And, and it was like, you know, it was a period of five, six, seven years, probably from like when I have memories, like from three or four through, you know, eight or nine, where I was like, no, 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 this can't possibly be how things are going to go. This can't possibly be how our parents have made this idiot world. Like, this is such a stupid way to navigate anything, right? Like, there is absolutely no reason why I can't wear fluffy fabric. There's just none. Like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, right? Like, this is, like, why am I, like, precluded from sparkles? Like, what the actual fuck? Um, who came up with that? Who's the idiot who thought that was that was reasonable? And I fought pretty hard against it as a kid um, and as a young person. And then... At a certain point, the enforcement mechanisms just became harsh enough that it was like, okay, fine, I'll learn to get by. I'll figure it out. I'll accept this half personhood for a little while. Yeah. What were what were some of the enforcement methods? I remember how tense it was. Like when I was in like fourth grade or fifth grade, I used to be so I was when I was like when I was in younger elementary school, I was pretty much exclusively best friends with girls. And you know, I got made fun of for that for my whole life, right? Like it was never easy to be that way, but it was survivable for a while, right? Like through like third grade, I feel like it was survivable. And that's why I named my book Sissy is because like Sissy was the first word that I had to describe my difference. You know, mm -hmm. it's the origin story. Um, but like- And you've taken yeah. it back. Yeah, exactly. Because also like it's fun and also it's like a little kinky and that double uh -huh. meaning. The double meaning yes. in the book title like is truly no one's commented on it in like a major review or anything. And I'm like, that's a bummer for like the world that like no one is appreciating the fact that I have this like very sparkly pink book like called like, I, like you know, called Sissy that like it has, it fully is a wink unto itself. And like no one ever picks up on it and it makes me sad. Wait, say more about it. How would you like people to pick up on it? Because I have ideas in my head, but I wonder if it's the same as what you're saying. I just wish that people would be like, like when people are like, why did you choose the name Sissy for your book? Like, I wish someone would be like, is it just at one point it'd be like, is it because you're a kinky bastard? And I'd be like, <laughs> bastard desk, but yes. <laughs> but yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I feel like it would be really fun for someone. And someone to be like, do you want to talk about that? Right. Like, I think there's, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of fun in there. Um, and also, yeah, it just, it feels like it's, I think the thing that's a little frustrating about it is like, to me, the package of the book, you know, the whole, like, don't judge a book by its cover. I can show you. You want people have, to judge a book by I its cover? I have it here. Right. But like, here's like, you know, this is like, it's like a very like, you know, it's, it, it looks like that. It's like my whole face. Right. Um, and it's very like, you know, sparkly and cute. There's like some glitter on the hardcover. Like, mm. it, it, and it, it, I it, like it. the, the half, half too, what we're yeah. talking about feeling halved. Um, but it's like, you know, but it's, I feel like there's this, like the joke of it is it's like, it's a kinky fucking title on a book that looks like this. That's hilarious. Like I would like some fucking credit for sneaking that past the entirety of like the cis heterosexual white lady publishing apparatus. <laughs> well, and for people who don't know what sissy play is, um, sissy play is basically where a, you know, maybe self-identifying some usually cisgendered 
uh, male presenting person um, likes to be quote unquote forced into wearing femme clothing. Um, So whether that be going out in femme clothing or putting on fishnets or whatever it is. um, Having to like wear little lacy panties under your suit to work or whatever. Yes, I think it's so fucking hot, firstly. Um, And I'm curious to ask you what, and, and obviously every person would answer this differently, but I wonder for you, like, what does this sort of intersection feel like of, because what we were talking about before is very much more like identity, survival, humanity, yeah. and like this is my reason of being. And kink can be that for some people too. And I yeah. wonder like what is this sort of respectful intersection between like playing with gender in a way that's like fun while also being understanding of folks who's who have felt so much struggle around the splitting around gender. Do you know what I mean? Like, when does it become fetishizing in a way that like doesn't feel supportive? And when is it like playful and fun? Right. Cause Mm. I'm like, Oh, sissy play. Like that's so fucking hot. And I realize that for some people, maybe that feels challenging. Right. I mean, like for me, you know, a like there is no correct erotic response to patriarchy. Right. Like they are all like every like people form all kinds of strange ways of understanding and healing and transforming because mm-hmm. ultimately that's what I see kink as right like kink is a yeah. vessel and a, and a vehicle for transforming and healing and and it's not always understood that way or talked about that way but like you know oh, I think it like, is in a negative context right it's like if you're oh, right. into this you're fucked up there's something wrong with you and I'm like, as no, opposed if you're to into like this you're finding like like that's like saying that someone who like goes to therapy is fucked up it's like no no no. someone who goes to therapy is seeking healing right and <laughs> yes. like someone who finds like who's who's playing with kink is actually investigating their relationship to power and how to have really corrective experiences way. yeah right I took the best class in undergrad. I did like a semester in New York City and like got to, got to like cross enroll in one course at NYU. Um, and it was called Underground Alien Outsider Queer. That was the name of the class. I well, got you know I a. love aliens. So yeah, I got an A in aliens. Um, but <laughs> but it was all about it was all about black marginal thought. So we like looked at like black marginal thought, um, which like you know marginal was like the fraughtness of that definition um, was part of the exploration of the class. We looked at sort of like black underground thought throughout um, mostly the 20th century, a little bit predating it. But we read like all kinds of really interesting stuff about um, how kink and like, and race intersect and like read a lot of black theorists writing about the intersection of like, of race and kink as a healing mechanism. And, you know, that's not a kink that I necessarily play in. Although if I had a partner who like really wanted to, I'd be like, okay, we got to have a big safety conversation and then we can, we can think about it. But what I, what I learned from that was I was like, oh my God, yeah. Like that's when I, that's when it clicked for me that like, oh, my desires sexually and erotically, so much of them are about like our, our formations in response to how I navigated the world growing up. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, I love it when my partners neg the shit out of me. I love it when they're like mean to me in the way that like teenage boys were mean to me, but the difference being that it's play and not serious, right? And the bigger Yeah, we're talking in like a fun kinky context, right? Yes. Not just yeah, like yeah, an yeah. asshole partner. <laughs> no, no, not just don't just like be a dick, like actually, but like, <laughs> you know, but uh, but um, but like absolutely someone who's like who's just like, "Oh my god, you're so fucking stupid." I would just be like, oh, right? Like that shit gets me going. Like I flutter. You know what I mean? Like someone who just like wants to tell me I'm dumb as shit. I'm like, "Oh my god, this is so great." Um and and it's because like you know, like someone who we eroticize our trauma. Well, exactly. Cause like I grew up, you know, having these, having so many boys who I had deep attraction to when I was also a boy, right? Like, um, belittling me, berating me, telling me I was less than, inferring that I was less than, you know, wielding their soft power and all these other sort of ways, but also wielding like hard power too, right? Like just like the, the, the sort of quotidian way in which, we would hurt each other as like, as like teen boys, right? Mm -hmm. Like you just fucking punch each other and it's like, take it. Like that's the whole thing. And the part that was really hard for me as a young person is that that felt very erotic to me. And it was also experienced semi-erotically, right? Like it was, it was sort of homoerotic play for everybody involved, but it couldn't be acknowledged as such. Yeah. And so now like as an adult, playing in that capacity, um, in that kink capacity is so freeing for me because it's like 
now my bully is able to acknowledge that they like that they desire me, right? That they are enjoying this process, you know? So it's like, it's like I get to reclaim because like that's all that I ever really needed to be able to be said. And then I could have actually like enjoyed it when I was younger too, in a in a very different way. Because then it's like I'm opting into it, right? I'm consenting. And also like my partner's able to name that they're that they're really enjoying this, right? And they're enjoying me. And and then we're balancing control, right? Like both of us are in control. We both control the scene. We both get to guide what's happening. We both get to opt out if it's too intense. Right. Um, and and so it's like you can recreate this safe vessel in which to to play with some of your deepest traumas and also deepest desires. Cause like sometimes they were really erotic experiences, you know? Yeah. Like when when like the hottest boy in school was like, you know, like seeing how much, seeing how hard he could punch me and seeing like whether or not I could like handle that. Like that's not like a totally non-sexual experience mm. uh, in your, in your young life, especially when like, you know, you were j- both just starting puberty and like hormones are everywhere in your body and like everything feels sexual in this way, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I love kink in that capacity. And so I'm deeply supportive of people who want to do sissy play and people who want to like enjoy like even what feels like more of classically like cross-dressing or whatever. Yeah. Because I'm like, look, if you're finding a way to access and heal the way in which your desires around femininity, gentleness, whatever, were shamed out of you, like if you're finding ways of healing that and also getting you and your partner off, I mean like A+. plus. That's fabulous. That's wonderful. Because yeah. I also know, and I'm deeply confident, that that work like manifests outwardly, right? Mm-hmm. Like that it doesn't deepen shame. It actually heals you and helps you to be like a self-actualized person who can stand up and be a total ally of trans people, right? Who can stand up and be like, no, I'm not going to allow gender policing. I'm going to raise my children in a gender-inclusive way, right? Like it allows you to do the synthesis necessary to, to find healing. So yeah. I think it's a really cool it's a really cool vehicle and it's super hot. I think it's super hot and I think it's super fun. Mm -hmm. And if you're having fun, it's really hot to fuck the system. Yeah. And it's consensual. Like go for it. You know, I love what you were saying. And I think even in the question I was asking and in the way we think about it, you know, it does sort of go along the lines of this like transphobic, uh, binary narrative that I think there is this hierarchy that's been created around gender play, right? That like, if you just do, like you said, cross-dressing, which for people who like aren't familiar with that, it's someone who, you know, says they're not maybe trans or non-binary, trans non-binary, and they still like to dress in like stereotypical clothes that aren't based on the gender that they were assigned at birth. And so so like, like, I'm a man and I identify as a man, but I want to wear a dress. And it's like, and, and the reason, but they have to like, be really clear that, oh, well, this doesn't mean I'm trans. This doesn't mean I'm this. And like, yes, that's true. It doesn't right. necessarily indicate your gender identity. It doesn't necessarily indicate your orientation. And I think the fact that people so quickly feel like they have to say that is part of the issue, right? Yeah, right. And cross-dress, like cross-dressing, like cross-dresser can be, can be an identity unto itself. You know, mm-hmm. it's a little retro, but like, go for it. You know, there are moments where I love like one of the words that I'm playing with reclaiming or at least using socially and really enjoying is like, oh no, as a classical transvestite, (laughs) I love to say that out loud because it's so funny and it makes people giggle a lot. And I love making people giggle. And I love like, you know, one thing that I, that I find really difficult about the current non-binary conversation is that there's this real um, sense that non-binary people are so fragile and have no sense of humor and can't mm. speak about gender without like, you know, I don't know, crying at you or getting mad at you or trying to cancel you. And so I mm. really enjoy being like finding ways of being a little sacrilegious, of being a little, a little silly, right? Of saying things that people are like, oh, like may- that's not the party clutching, line. Clutching their pearls. Yeah. Like they'll be like, oh my God, did you just say transvestite? And I'll be like, yeah, I mean, it's not like an inaccurate way to describe what I do. Oh yeah. Say more about this. I'm really curious about what you're saying in terms of like how to sort of challenge these things. I think in the past you called it being gender chill. Yeah. <laughs> um, like how to kind of em- embrace these things and play with it. And also why it's important for you to have humor and yeah. playfulness as part of this and not just like a serious conversation that that doesn't inherently mean disrespectful. Yeah. Like, I mean, to me, it's it, the whole idea like the the 
I think it's important for us to think about in this movement, what's our end point, right? Where are we actually trying to go? What is the world we legit want to live in? And -hmm. the world we want to live in is just one where gender is fucking relaxed, where there's no, where where you don't have to stress about it because there's nothing to stress about, right? Where like what you, like whether you're a woman or a man or trans or non-binary or whatever, right? Like it just doesn't really, it, it like, it matters in so much as, you know, what kind of music you like matters for who you are as a person, right? But it doesn't really determine whether or not you're going to be okay in the world. It doesn't determine your access to income or housing or like safety, right? Like I want gender to feel like a music preference. And like, and and I mean that really like deeply because, you know, for people who like fucking punk, like being a punk, being a punk kid is deeply important, you know? And like, some people think it's a little silly how how deeply they feel their identity, right? Some people are obsessed with music. Some people don't care. Some people love every genre. Some people don't really like listen to music at all, right? Mm-hmm. Like some people have that one genre they love and it's their fucking thing and it defines them, right? Some people have one genre and then another genre. Some people start as one and they switch to another, right? Like, and I want gender to feel like that. Where like you can have your emo phase and then follow it up with your punk phase because of course like oh god your emo phase was so embarrassing and now you're like now you're a proper punk you know and then like, not a poser right and then like you get into like metal and then you go into proper death metal and then you're like oh now I don't do any of that I'm more into singer songwriters you know like I want people to be able to go on that kind of journey where you get to enjoy things you get to try things you get to like have phases if you want them right mm. and none of your life in terms of like none of your life in terms of whether or not you're okay, like, or like loved is really on the line that much, you know, like, um, I think the issue in our, in our current culture around that, that play in those phases is that folks who are really anti-trans or just don't understand or are really threatened by fucking the binary that they then sort of come at it from like, oh, well, then isn't it a choice? Or like, right. how do we trust children who are saying that they know that they're not aligned right. in their body and they shouldn't have access to these, you know, gender gender confirmation things because it's a phase and stuff like that. So I wonder how can right. we how can we have both, right? Where we're doing it the way you're talking about while also like acknowledging that the framework in which we live, like, is really hard for that. Right. Okay, this might be edgy, but I'm just going to say it. Who cares? Um, I'm totally okay living in a world like people are like, oh, well, trans people, your gender's a phase. And I'm okay being like, yeah, but cis people, your gender's a phase too. Mm, Say more. Like, I actually think it's more interesting to live in a world in which everyone's gender is understood as a phase, right? Mm. Because if it's understood, if your gender is understood as a phase, like it is understood as non-foundational, as it is understood as subject to change, it's understood as always in evolution, right? And it's understood as non-static. And I think that like the sooner everyone can understand their gender as non-static, the happier we will all be, mm-hmm. right? This, the idea that your gender must be consistent is one of the most oppressive things about gender and one of the things that I think hurts us all the most. This Mm -hmm. idea that you must be consistent in how you present your gender and understand your gender over your lifetime or else people will not trust you or not love you or not feel like they know you. Like, that's such a terrible way to navigate everything. Well, and and I think for folks I know who have maybe thought or presented or, or never questioned their cisgenderness who are maybe starting to play with gender... I right. think they sometimes feel like it, they don't have permission or that they're not, they don't have like a space to do it. Almost yeah. like that it's being disrespectful or that they're not trans enough or right. they're not nine binary enough, if that makes sense. Yeah, which like, that's so sad to me. Like, I find that so devastating. There's nothing sadder to me than someone who thinks they're not trans or non binary enough to count. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm and I, like- I think as a, a growing up as, and identifying as a cisgender person, like, we're sort of not encouraged to question that. Right. Right. There's like, so I remember growing up, like I was designated as a tomboy, whatever that meant. Like, I'm so right. curious where that term came from. I don't know it's if you know the you history of rocks. Because <laughs> I loved rocks. Um, I loved dressing in quote unquote boys clothes. Rocks are for boys because they're yeah. hard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Love hard things. Tell that to nice, shale. hard rock. <laughs> Crumbly. Uh- <laughs> Tell that to limestone. <laughs> um. It's not about the a soft rock is a is a valid rock. Tell that to talc. <laughs> <laughs> this is the nerdiest thing I've ever said. Wow. 
I'm sure there's some other rock cock rock lovers out there. Uh-huh. But yeah, I think like there was there were all these like labels and I I never was taught that I could like question those things, you know, there was just like no room for for playing, but I like did it anyway, but I was there was so much judgment for it. Right? There was like I remember I so I used to have really short hair because I wanted to look like my friend Eddie and I would wear all the clothes that Eddie would wear and that's just like what felt good to me um but I also liked boys and wanted to hang out with boys but got called a boy all the time mm. but that didn't feel right for me either and I didn't like that and I didn't want you know I wanted them to think I was hot but I also wanted to dress like them uh and then I remember one day I went into school and it was like culture day or something and I I wore something from my dad's, you know, like an Austrian thing. It's like a, a lederhosen. So t- technically the quote boys were lederhosen and the girls right. were dirndls. And so I wanted to wear a lederhosen and I had my short bowl cut that my mom, who's like, doesn't have great vision cut for me. And I had my lederhosen on and I just got called Pinocchio. Uh, they're like, you're a real boy. You're a real boy. And I just like went home in tears. And I think since there's just for cisgendered people like even if you feel and think you're cisgendered i think there's like no permission to question that Mm. that it's Mm. like oh well this is like you said that this is like static forever and that there's nothing that's gonna like shift or change or like no room to play no room to play Yeah. yeah this episode is sponsored by afterglow horn by women for everyone Afterglow is offering our listeners a seven-day free trial when you enter code XOSCHOLARS at XOAfterglow.com. Do you like watching porn but wish the scenes were more realistic and relatable? Check out Afterglow. Afterglow has high-quality ethical porn and also offers a collection of guided exercises, masturbations, and also educational content or edu-porn. I love how they have something for everyone. There are articles, journeys for self-discovery, advice, and just plain pleasure-focused films. I've always wished that the porn I watch could include more micro-moments of realness, and Afterglow does just that. My favorite is the educational porn. So they've got these videos like how to have period sex or how to squirt. They're informative, but also fun, sexy, and super validating to the human experience. And right now, Afterglow is offering our listeners a seven-day free trial when you go to enter code XOSCHOLARS at XOAfterglow.com. That's XOAfterglow, X-O-A-F-T-E-R, G-L-O-W-X-O-Afterglow.com and use code XOSCHOLARS in all caps to get a seven-day free trial. The link is in the episode's description. Now, back to the episode. Ugh, this is so annoying. The only reason it's annoying, okay, well, two two reasons. A, um, like, well, this isn't annoying, this is great, which is that um, it's just annoying that this is how our brains work, but like, of course you have to tape a podcast with your friend to hear like the most adorable story about gender and also like the most traumatizing story about gender. Like, I'm like, how have I not heard that Pinocchio story before? Like you and later Hosen in a bowl cut as a child, like that is a, like, how, how did that not come up while we were looking for opal light or for, uh, you know, for agates on the beach? I don't understand. Um, um, no, I don't know, but I will certainly find some pictures for you. I really would like some. That sounds uh, immaculate. Slash dress up again as yeah, Pinocchio. yeah, yeah. But you don't, you don't have yeah. to do a bowl cut. You just we'll, we'll get a bowl cut wig and feel. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm off. yeah. Wig sounds um, better. <laughs> yeah, uh, but like, th- but then the other thing that's annoying is just that sometimes there are moments where I'm like, okay, I because I'm working on my second book right now and the stuff that we're talking about now, I'm like, that's my third book. And I'm just like, oh my God, brain, stay focused. You have to finish number two before you get onto number three. But like, you know, one of the things that is top of mind for me and always feels top of mind for me. And I think, you know, it's about kind of figuring out when, when it feels like the right time to sort of enter into a cultural conversation about Mm -hmm. it. But like, I, I'm really into the idea of like trans expansionism right? And that's like not an official term. I don't know what the official term is. I don't think there is one. But I'm really into this idea that like the goal of transness and the trans movement is for the most people to identify the most parts of themselves that are trans as possible. Because transness is like actually like trans people are are, all the trans people are doing is pointing out the truth of gender, right? Which Mm -hmm. is that like, 
Which and is like forcing all, us to look at those parts of right. ourselves that we haven't looked at. Yeah, that we all contain multitudes, right? Which is why and it's threatening for people. Yes, of course, because people have to visit a lot, of, revisit a lot of trauma and all the parts of themselves that they had to kill off in order to be the to be the right kind of man or the right kind of woman, right? And and so, but like to me, this idea that there's some threshold where you're trans enough or non-binary enough, like feels boring, feels uninteresting, but more importantly, feels imprecise and like the totally incorrect way to look at the mechanics of the thing. Because mm-hmm. the way I think we should look at, especially around non-binary identity, but around trans identity in general, right? Because like transness is this umbrella, right? And like transness does not just include people who are like transsexual, right? Like people who have medically transitioned and are medically transitioning, right? Transness includes people who are like gender deviants in a much broader sense. And this sort of like, this sort of trans, the, the the prefix itself means moving from one to the other, right? It means moving and traversing. And I'm interested in that prefix, right? Like you can have a part of yourself that feels trans. You can have an experience that feels trans. Moments can be trans moments without mm-hmm. you necessarily being a trans person or not a trans person. And this idea that you must define yourself as either cisgender or transgender is itself an oppression. Yeah, I the mean, I you feel you have to choose between mm-hmm. am I totally the thing I was born or am I not the thing I was born? That itself is a binary and is mm-hmm. ridiculous because yeah. like that ebbs and flows for people. So like, I'm not interested in asking, am I as a total person, non-binary or trans or cis, whatever. I'm interested in us being like, what parts of me feel trans or non-binary? What parts of my experience feel trans or non-binary? What parts of who I am resonate with that community and with this struggle? Because the answer for most cis people is actually quite a number of parts of yourself. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, then how cis are you? And how cis do we need to have anyone be, right? Like, yeah. and 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 then, you know, then people are like, but then how are you going to talk about cis privilege or not? And I'm like- That's what exactly what I was going to ask. Right. Yes. And I'm like, I think that the more people we call into understanding trans experience as a thing that's internal, that's part of you, like, that's how you win a movement, babes. Well, because like, I was going to ask that, and I guess to be um, to be disclosing of my own like experience as you're talking, like as someone who I guess has identified as cis, and you know maybe that is too th- that's not true, right? There are parts of me that aren't, and as somebody who feels that way and works with a lot of folks in my practice who are trans and trans non-binary, that like just seeing how traumatic things right. have been for them and then comparing my own experience and being like well i have had this cis privilege maybe when we peel it back there's been traumas that haven't maybe been right. taken in but i do think there's this fear for folks like i said to not want to be like invalidating to the experience of someone who was born and really felt in the wrong body for so long right. where i'm like no i don't really resonate with it on that level so is there space to acknowledge, you know, each of our experiences without invalidating and without creating this hierarchy while still being respectful to folks whose experience has been so traumatizing living in this world that we're in. Right. I mean, to me, it's just like, I don't know how to build a movement unless it's one that calls people into the struggle. Mm. I, I don't know how to build a trans movement that is only for trans people. That's just not possible, right? Mm. Like, a trans, the trans movement is liberating everybody. Everyone is finding freedom through this movement. And the sooner everyone can acknowledge that, the mm-hmm. better. And the more deeply people yeah. can acknowledge in their own lives. Because the other thing too is I am so, like one thing I really hate about identity politics these days is this like, this way of being like, oh yeah, the way that we're gonna, like you need to, you need to respect trans people or non-binary people because you have empathy for us. And because you have, you know, because like as an outsider, you feel for us. I'm like, I don't want you to be invested in the trans movement because you're pitying me or -hmm. because you're empathizing for me, right? Or because you feel like you need, like, that's an okay way to be part of the trans movement. I would much rather you be part of the trans movement by being like, by joining you. 
was ridiculed for being for wearing lederhosen. I got bullied and called a boy. It was a moment of trauma in my life. And I didn't deserve that. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's why I'm invested, yeah. right? Oh, Jacob, I'm tearing I, up over here. No, but that's what I'm Ooh. saying. You don't need to be invested in the trans movement yeah. because you care about me. I want you to be invested in the trans movement because you love yourself that deeply. Oof. Yeah. And honor yourself that deeply. Because mm-hmm. that's like, that's that mutualism that actually creates solidarity and also like is accurate. Because I'm not ever, 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 like I'm never going to sit down with a cis man and say, you have more privilege than I do. Because I'm like, babe, I think I'm probably doing better than you are. <laughs> I actually think that like, I'm more, probably more privileged, spiritually speaking, in terms of my capacity to heal. If, if we're going to judge privilege based off of my capacity to heal, my capacity to be in touch with my trauma, my capacity to feel like a whole person, if, that fe- if that's a privilege, which I would argue it is in our world, right? Interesting. I have so, and, and, and having access to a tradition and a lineage and a history and a community that lifts me up and cares about me and helps me understand how I've navigated the world and yeah. helps me feel whole again. Yeah. Like I have all of those things in spades just over and over and over and over. I have so much. It is coming out of my ears. I have mm-hmm. so many chances to heal. Everyone I live with is healing. Everyone I spend time with, we are all healing. We understand that gender has hurt us. We care deeply for one another in that way. And I'm sitting here looking at these cis men who are supposedly privileged or whatever that's supposed to mean. And I'm like, you are spiritually wrecked and you can't even see it. Like mm-hmm. no one is even acknowledging how much you've been fucked over by gender. And like, are you really more privileged than me, dude? Mm. Yeah, I guess, like you said, it depends how we define privilege, right? Right, like economically, maybe. But like, you own a house, I own myself. Mm. I would argue one is a much more important privilege than the other, frankly. I don't care if like your cisness, if being a cis dude has meant that economically you can buy a Ferrari if you're spiritually broken. Like if I had to pick between being spiritually whole or owning a Ferrari, I would pick being spiritually whole every single day. I mean, it's nice to have both. I mean, I don't ever need a Ferrari. I feel like Ferraris are stupid. And I feel oh, like rocks. Think rocks right. instead. Yeah, I, but I also don't need like the fanciest rocks. Like I'm really, really happy with like a like a shitty crystal I find in a creek like that I spend 17 hours looking for. Well, and for. then when you split it open, sometimes there's a beautiful thing inside of there. Yeah, everything's a metaphor, you know. But yeah, what's, seems- what's the main pushback you've gotten from folks in the trans community? Because like you're saying, I think some mm. of the stuff you were acknowledging like can feel edgy or maybe there's folks who don't agree like what would you say is the main pushback you've got from like intergroup folks mm, that you've mm. either worked with or connected with oh i mean it's it's so simple and i think that that, that the it's something i'm always always trying to be more cognizant of and trying to name when i feel it mm-hmm. which is just that like nothing like nothing i ever say on a macro level ever like negates like any individual person's lived experience because Mm -hmm. most of the time when people are like when people are gatekeeping or like around an identity right when they are feeling hurt by discourse around an identity it's because of like what they're really saying is i still don't feel like my trauma has been seen healed or held Mm -hmm. right and i'm just like babe i'm here for that i am absolutely with every ounce of effort that i have trying to build a world that will see heal and hold you yeah, like, which is why I know you talked about this in a Trevor Noah interview around right. like what you feel when people are shitty to you, right? Yeah. About gender stuff is like have, finding empathy for clearly you've got your own shit going on and I'm threatening to you. Right, but it's not even like, it's not even like, wor- and it's not working to find empathy. Like it's not like making myself, it's like that is my natural state now. Mm. Like when men are cruel to me, I'm just like, oh my God, I am, are you like, are you okay? Uh, who was he- helping you? Yeah, yeah. like who is going to help you? And it's funny, like I'm, I'm working on my second book and it's all about men for this reason because I'm sitting here being like, who is helping them? And it's like, you know, the only people who are trying sometimes it feels like, I mean, there's like, yeah. there's a few men on the, on the, you know, on the, there's a few men who are trying to do the work and they're doing, I think a pretty good job. Um, but the people on the other side who are like profiting off of all this trauma and um and magnifying it under this sort of like fake promise of healing it are are tapping into something that like if we don't begin to tap into it as a feminist movement 
like we are, it's the world is going to become much more dangerous, mm-hmm. right? Like, I think it's really time for us to sit down as a feminist struggle and say, who here among us can hold and has the capacity to focus on holding the trauma of men and helping them heal? Mm-hmm. Because we can't leave that up Because our society to Andrew- needs it, yeah. Yeah, we can't leave that up to Andrew Tate. We can't leave that up to Jordan Peterson. We can't leave that up to Ben Shapiro. We can't leave that up to those people. And because they take that and make money from it, they monetize it, right? And they deepen it. They're like, oh, you're you're hurt? Um, let me make you angry, too. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, I, it, and I, yeah, it's, interesting it's not what, for everyone. Right. It's interesting what you're saying, though, and I, I feel like I talk about this a lot with clients of mine in that I think to be able to find that, to tap into that empathy, I think to be able to play requires a certain level of feeling safe enough when we're in fight or flight the part of our brain that is responsible for play and empathy goes offline and for social connection and engagement you know it's like if you're running from a lion you're not gonna i'm not gonna turn to you next to me and be like oh my god do you want to go like shopping later and hang out (laughs) and try and wear each other's clothes (laughs) 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 no you know what i mean like we can't play um when we're in survival mode and so I wonder what do you think has been most helpful for you in getting into like feeling safe enough because there are a lot of safety issues you know for folks yeah, who yeah. are not trans and and not just like the bullying emotional component but physically too. Yeah, and yeah. so what has been most helpful for you in like feeling safe enough so that you can play? Oh, for sure. So I mean, a um like it's been moving to Los Angeles. Cause I, you know, I, I want to work in like media and in, in film and television and storytelling. And we have a mercantile cultural economy where if you want to produce the television that the whole world watches, you have to be in either New York or LA and New York was atrocious. Like it was so awful living in New York. I mean, New York is an amazing city. I like visiting, um, mm-hmm. but like having to only take public transportation was, um, a really, really challenging psychological experience um, as a gender nonconforming person because it meant that I had to interact with a thousand people's perceptions of my gender expression in order to go to a meeting, right? Whereas in Los Angeles, in order to go to a meeting, I might have to interact with five people's gender expression or five people's perception of my gender expression, right? Like I have just, there's the, any people who might see me on the street while I'm walking to my garage and opening my garage. Cause I have one of those like old school style garages you manually open. It's like so cute. Oh, wow. <laughs> I love it. Um, and then like getting in my car and then maybe someone sees me at a stoplight, maybe, right. Um, there might be a parking attendant or something like wherever I'm going. And then anyone who sees me walk from my car to the lobby. You know, it is so. So you feel people. like you can control your. Yeah, just statistically. Yeah. You know, I just get private. I I get the ability to go places in in something like privacy, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't need necessarily like the nicest car. You need a car, which is a huge privilege, right? I'm not saying that's not a privilege, um, but you don't need you don't need a fancy car in order to have that uh, that safety, right? Like you just need one that works. Um, and that has was has been game changing for my mental health and. You know, and and as much as I hate car culture, um, that's one part of it that I really like. Yeah. Uh, you know, granted, I think if I lived, maybe if maybe things would be different if I lived in New York now, with sort of the cultural progress we've made. But I don't know. Um, Stay here. Yeah, I mean, I think it would still be <laughs> with me. Rough. So, like, you know, that was the thing where I was like, yeah, if I have to pick, I'm going to stay in LA because I can wear what I want when I want to wear it, and. Um, deal with so much less shit and not have to listen to strangers on the subway talking about wanting to set me on fire. You know, like I just don't need that in my life or like worry about when someone's going to fucking stab me, you know, like just, I, just, I was, yeah, New York. I just was always for like, one's nervous system. Yeah. Right. In New York, I was just like, every time I left in a skirt, I was like, maybe today someone's going to stab me. You know, it just always, I was just like, mm, wonder terrifying. if the knife's, Wonder, wonder if there's going to be a knife in my body today. You know, like that's what it felt like. It felt yeah. like kind of living in this war zone. Um, yeah. So yeah, like doing that for myself was huge and sort of claiming that like maybe even if I'm more of a New York girl, it's like, nah, because I'm never going to be rich enough to like take cars in New York everywhere. And also that's annoying as hell. It's so mm-hmm. difficult to take cars everywhere in New York. Like yeah. traffic's terrible. Um, 
And the other thing that's great is that I can live like this in every other, any other city in the country too, right? Like I, like, you know, I can, it, it's not just unique to LA. In North Carolina, I feel extremely safe for the same reason. Because it's like, I'm, I have, I drive in a car places, you know, mm-hmm. and my life is easier and better. Um, so, so there's that. Um, and then, you know, it's also, to me, it's, it's really been about like, um, starting to part, part of it is also like in, in coming into sort of, um, enough financial security as an artist to not feel as precarious. I mean, that certainly helps, but that's like kind of an existential thing that applies to any, anyone who's trying to work in film or television. Um, anyone who's trying to write for a living, um, uh, you know, it, life is hard and your mental health becomes difficult if you aren't, don't have enough work. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not easy, right? Like even it's sort of my current stature, like I'm doing very well. I'm a pretty fancy Hollywood lady. And like, I'm about to lose my healthcare through the writer's guild because I didn't make, cause I'm, I'm like $4,000 short of what I needed to make this year, you oh, know? Man. And like, and it's, you know, and I, and I'm figuring that out. Like my team and I are working on it, but it's just sort of like, that's just what it is. Um, so, you know, there's, there's things like that, uh, that, that certainly help, but yeah, I mean, so much of the work that I'm thinking about these days is around like, is around, uh, the structure of how entertainment is made economically speaking. Um, and thinking about when are trans and non-binary people going to be making the most money off of the projects that are about us. Mm-hmm. Cause right now trans and non-binary people don't make the most money on projects about us. Right. Yeah. Like, um, we are like, it is always some cis person making more money than us for the yeah. story that like could not exist without us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm interested in being like, okay, it's probably time for that to shift. And what conversations do we need to start as a, as a community and as an entertainment industry in order to shift that? Because also once trans people and non-binary people are making the most money off of our own stories and like are at that showrunner level and are able to create and sell our own TV shows yeah. and able to like, that the economic impacts of that the work mm-hmm. that that helps us bring to our community i mean that's huge and in addition to just like the visibility and sort of the politics of it all yeah. um so you know yeah it is about economic security at the end of the day but it's also why i think the trans and non-binary movement should be much 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 more invested in the labor movement like we need to be part of the labor struggle i'm really really honored as a as a television writer to be a member of a guild to be part of a union of writers who fight the people who like the fight the corporate overlords who run our media you know mm. like we are part of the labor struggle we are visible within it and i think that the more non-binary and trans people can claim that like that that uh the labor struggle is our struggle um the more that we can create a world where like you know we all can have the baseline economic security necessary to to enjoy our expression of self mm-hmm. you know yeah last question before we sadly have to wrap up for today um oh my god are we done already what, that just i know boom. we need we need a part one through ten Zip. i guess just uh popped in my head because money makes me think of sex so <laughs> <laughs> Any- work. this could be a whole nother episode so yeah. like i know this is like a little summary but any tips for folks in navigating sex and dating um, that you feel like have been really helpful for you uh, as a non-binary and non-conforming person? Um, well, that's going to have to be like a, it's sort of a TBD um, question for me because I mean, there has been such a sea change in terms of people's capacity to desire me in the fullness of my gender over the mm-hmm. last two, three years. Um yeah. Like, you know, I, uh, I love to half joke that like, you know, there's my sex life before Harry Styles wore a dress on the cover of Vogue and there's my sex life after Harry Styles. <laughs> but it's wore only a dress. half joke. It's a half joke. And the reason it's a half joke is because a, like, is because the, the thing that's actually interesting. And I think part of why I'm considered more sexually desirable than I used to be is actually because being gender non-conforming and being quote unquote, straight acting are no longer as much at odds as they used to be. Mm. Like when I, it, like it was like before the pandemic and after the pandemic, like I, I moved to North Carolina for like a year and a half when I was, you know, like during the pandemic and stuff. Yeah. Um, and when I came back to LA, navigating the city as a gender non-conforming person felt really different because like now when I'm like on like, you know, the Melrose strip or whatever, and I walk around in like a cute dress and a lip and like a chunky earring, people honest to God are looking at me and being like, 
is that one of them non-binaries or is that one of them SoundCloud rappers? They don't know. They're like, is that a pop star I see? Is that a non-binary I see? And you like both? you like the confusion? Yeah, they're like, is that a heterosexual rock star? who like, Or is that a homosexual non-binary? But either way, I want to fuck them. <laughs> yeah, oh, for sure. That's what I'm saying. It's like that ambiguity like has really shifted how people desire mm. in a fundamental yeah. way. Because gender d- gender and desire are all socially constructed, right? Yeah. Like how how we desire gender is socially constructed and we're yeah. just building differently now and our t- and our quote unquote types are all socially 100%. constructed in, the, like, in a lot of ways yeah if there was something fundamental about like not thinking of like you know a male bodied person in lipstick was hot if there's something evolutionary about that then like it would not be so easy to change so quickly mm-hmm. um so you know it does it hasn't like solved every because now it's like that weird thing where like also now people are like oh yeah you're you know in lipstick and heels and can you take me home and fuck me and i'm like you want me to talk okay okay what what like that no one was like asking and like pre-covid like no one was like no one ever looked at me and was like i think that person would fuck me good right and now people look at me and they're like i think that person would fuck me good and i'm like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna figure out how to do that but it's gonna take (laughs) a second just like give me a minute to like recalibrate my entire sexuality real quick and like understand wow. how to fundamentally different function in a different way and I'll get back to you. Keep us posted. It's wild. We are in a very exciting and riveting time and I know that like you know everyone's like oh gosh like things are getting bad and I'm like no 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 there's some things we won that like aren't going to be revoked. Oh yes thank you. I'm, I really 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 deeply believe that like fully in my bones so well how can people check out your book your upcoming books that i know are going to be here sooner than we think um follow what you're doing well first and foremost um you can go out to your neighborhood local bookstore and buy sissy a coming of gender story um but no for real it's it's a pretty it's a pretty it's a pretty good read Um, don't forget to think of us and think kinky when you're looking at the the, yeah and like giggle a little you know give it give yourself a little (laughs) you know um and i'm on on the internet at jacob tobiah on you know all the socials and whatever um i'm intermittently on them these days because i am writing but uh i'm getting back on i'm getting back into the swing of it and the big thing i'm excited for people to watch is that um a short film that i was in that debuted at tribeca last year is now officially available on the internet so if you want to watch me acting for like you know the first time in a real project um it's a short called valentine it's like on my socials you can find uh find the link there um it debuted on short of the week recently um and it's a really if we're talking about gender and desire it is a beautiful portrayal um and i didn't write it or direct it so i'm allowed to say that you know in a way that isn't so arrogant but like you know it is a beautiful portrayal and a beautifully directed like piece about about navigating gender and desire with a partner with whom you're deeply in love Oh, I love that. And I have a friend who just loved She-Ra. So I can say I have not watched it, but the people who I know who love it, love it. So yeah. check it out. Do yourself a favor, be gayer and watch She-Ra too. <laughs> you know what? I'll have to unpack why I haven't watched it yet and what cultural things have made me feel like I it's not for me. Well, animation's not for everybody. So, you know. I, I just, uh, I just my ADHD brain just continues to keep rewatching shows that I've already seen a hundred times. So and when, uh, when it's ready I'm... for a new show, I will watch, yeah. you know, <laughs> um, well, this has been a delight. You're yes. a delight. Um, casual combo chit chat. Yeah. Again, listeners, if you want to follow what I'm doing, I'm on Instagram at sluts and scholars on Twitter at sluts scholars. You can listen anywhere you get your podcasts and at sluts and scholars.com. Please don't forget to rate and review with a nice one. Um, and talk to you next week. And to be very clear, um, I'm the slut and Nicoletta is the scholar today. Why can't we both be both? I'm just kidding. Sluts and scholars. <laughs>